you're listening to the Prodine Podcast, uniting minds across Britain. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, well, I say welcome back. Welcome to another edition of uh, the Prodine Podcast. Uh, another weekly review uh, with my esteemed guests, uh, Darren Hill, uh, recently joined the Conservatives. Uh, former, uh, well, still works in positive politics, I'm assuming, or still a shareholder anyway. Um, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Um, Chris Harries, who's uh, well, probably my co-host more than a guest. Uh, how are you today, Chris? I'm very well, Hugh. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, yeah. And a new guest who has never been on this podcast before, uh, Carolyn Webster, councillor in Bridgend. Um, what, what else? You've stood for elections quite a few quite a number of times. I have. I've been candidate for the 2016 uh, assembly elections. I've been oh, wow. uh, candidate. I know I'm that old. I don't look it. Um, <laughs> but I've also been a parliamentary candidate for Cardiff West, which is a fantastic place. Um, very wet and cold and dark, if I remember correctly. I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of you in the future, Karen. Uh, I hope right. so. I hope, yes. Uh, right, it's been a very, um, well, a lot, quite a fast news day today. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about what's happened earlier on in the week regarding the Welsh Government's uh, new regulations on all people who come from uh, other UK hotspots of COVID can no longer enter Wales. Um, a lot of, well, particularly in the Conservative, uh, Bolish and uh, the Brexit Party have said this is anti-English. Um, a lot of, by Cymru are obviously very happy with it, and so are last waves of the Labour Party. Um, panel, and we'll start with, we'll start with Carolyn. Do we think that this action by the Welsh Government is anti-English? Um, I think the language that was used by uh, the First Minister was very um, insular, looking inward to Wales and very appeasing of uh, nationalism or separatism. Um, it can be perceived in my opinion, as anti-English, because they are over the border. Um, so one could say not necessarily that it's going to be anti-Scottish, because the Scottish people would have to come through, ne negotiate their way past the Scottish nationalists guarding their border, which I understand is happening anyway. Um, but they would have to come in through England. Um, so yes, I, I, I do think it's anti-English through the language that was used. What do you think, Darren? Uh, I'm inclined to agree with Carolyn. I think it's some of the language that was used that I, that I have issues with, and that is uh, the language both in favour and against the move. I think there was, a, there was hyperbole and extreme language on both sides. The actual, uh, the, 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 the actual step that is taken um, is about shutting down movement from high-risk areas uh, in one country to high-risk areas in another. And I think with such a, a sensitive matter, I think a lot more could have been done to actually focus on the facts and diffuse the situation rather than playing to hyperbole. And I don't just blame the government. I think there were a number of people in the Conservative Party who were equally guilty. Oh, good. This is an interesting point. There. What language on the opposing side did you find? Um... Well, I just do not, I don't think that it's accurate to say that English people have been banned from Wales. Because if you right. look at you know, the, 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 the factual basis on which this uh, this change is happening, it is mm -hmm. simply between high-risk and low-risk mm -hmm. areas. I've, 
I took particular particular eyebrow. I raised my eyebrow particularly at the Daniel Kaczynski tweet, which nobody can see anymore because it's been removed, but in which he talked about getting rid of devolution on the basis that his constituents could no longer... Uh, but the Welsh government was getting too big for its boots, blah, 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 and his constituents could, could no longer move. Well, the, the fact is his constituents can move because he's not in a, in a high-tier area. And actually, if his constituents are moving across into powers, they're not locked down either. So, <laughs> you know, in terms of that particular transit, which I imagine the one, is the one that would affect most of his constituents, no change whatsoever. And that's I what I mean by, by hyperbole on both sides. But don't you think that the, the language that is used um, from the government, which should be um, advising people and to, to give people confidence in, in certain things, that it's just added to the confusion of, of uh, everything? You know, I, I've had business people telling me, are we allowed to, to go to England now? Are we allowed to, to carry on with business? Well, yes, you are allowed to go to England to carry on your business because you can't do it from home. And that, you know, that, does that still stand? Am I, <laughs> you, you can't, yeah, you, you've got portability if, you, if, you, if yes. your travel is business essential. But, um, I, but I do the media think it's a failure message, of communication. Yes, I, I think the media message which has come from Welsh government is, is um, aggressive it's, um, it, and it's confusing. It, it it doesn't it doesn't give people surety about what they can do. Well, let's bring da um, Chris in on this now. Do you agree with Darren that the messaging used by the Welsh Conservatives and by others uh, that this is an anti-English move, or is it just be or or is this just being overhyped? It's only on the areas which are currently in lockdown. There is no rebuilding of Offa's Dyke. Mm -hmm. Chris? If you were to look at it, if you look at it, I think some of the language has been intemperate. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not entirely sure it's driven by data. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago, you would have probably had the high point of the tourism season this year. Mm -hmm. uh, did we really see a sort of spike in the likes of Pembrokeshire, Ceredigion, North Wales, for instance? Did we really see a spike as a result of tourism and people moving within the UK I'm not sure that did happen I think if it had been the case I think it would have been flagged earlier surely we would have seen it in the data the government published um, you would have seen in Pembrokeshire for instance cases going through the roof that didn't happen so I think in some ways I'm not sure this is being driven by data but it's an opportunity for Mark Drifford to flex his muscles I think part of this is enough and the other one is it's also a failure in England from the legislation that's been passed about what's done in the years with lockdown in terms of people um, because I would say that the failure of that legislation to communicate if people could travel or not mm. meant that it created a vacuum for Drakeford to operate in and so I think there is blame to apportion everyone in this um, I think that it's deliberately used by people who are I wouldn't say Mark Drakeford himself, but some of the people who support this, yeah, they do have, at the heart of their politics, a sort of anti-English rhetoric. And at every opportunity, it goes, at any opportunity, they're blamed for everything. If it's housing, uh, they're blamed for having second homes. 
you name it, at every opportunity, they're sort of the person it takes to rap for it. And so this is just simply another extension of that sort of anti-English sentiment that there is a part of the Welsh establishment. Oh, Darren, you want to say something? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with Chris's analysis there. Um, what I, I will um, distinguish, though, between Welsh Conservative line per se and some Welsh Conservatives, right? Because everything Paul Davis has put out, I think, has been incredibly measured. And he's focused on the data and he's used the Pembrokeshire example that Chris just used then. And the data, we don't have enough data, right? Because they're, they're, for, for some reason, they, they're hanging on to data. They say they're sharing it, but, but, but they're not. But the data they have shared in terms of transmission from tourism shows it's an incredibly low factor. And that's what worries me alongside this. Because we sit... You know, we and we get we're getting this from both governments. I'm afraid they 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 target certain things which isn't necessarily data led. So is I'm interested in in containing and halting COVID as much as possible, right? That's the type of measures I want to see coming out from the Welsh government. That's the jurisdiction here. Why? I just think this is such a peripheral issue based on the data that we currently have. Why is do you think they're not? being open this is both governments now and scottish government uh, yeah. as well why do you think they aren't being more transparent about the data but well they don't trust the public do they they don't trust the public and they think everything's got to be dumbed out and do you know the one bit that's missing in loads of the rhetoric that's used and loads of the, of the the guidance that's used is personal responsibility and personal judgment um and i think the welsh government is you know, they, they stress that we, 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 we all have to behave in certain ways, but they, it doesn't come from an angle of personal responsibility. You pr provide people with the data, and then you, you take them on a journey, and you explain to them, or don't take them on a journey, maybe, uh, but you explain to them why they should behave in certain ways because of factual data. And, and actually, in the first lockdown, you know, the, in, the, in the first months, you know, it was more data-driven when we actually had less data. I think that's a bizarre irony. Mm. And Karen, do, do you have a particular view on why do you think they're holding back the data, or do you agree with Darren? I, I, I think I, I'm with Darren on that. I, but, but to add in, I'm a big person about, about personal responsibility. We are conservatives, after all. Um, but I, I think there might be something in that, and um, maybe there's a great line actually in a film. What's it called? Men in Black. That was it where it says a person is clever, but people are stupid. And it's about how people, when they come together, how they behave, which is different from the personal responsibility one would have as an individual. So maybe there's something in that. I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts, Darren? I, I, I think, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we... We seem to be drawing on the We're worst of each other, don't we? I know we we draw on the worst of each other as well. And you know, social media doesn't bloody help, does it? Oh God, no! I, I mean, I couldn't go on there. Once the announcement was made on Wednesday, I just shut it off for hours and hours. Is that a quick people? I thought, oh my God, this is a bloody <laughs> this is yeah, a, this is a vile cesspit. And for once, I'm not prepared to contribute to debasing <laughs> it even further. <laughs> I mean, Chris, uh, do you have any differing views to the other two? I don't think I differ with my analysis of this. Uh, I think Darren's right, there is an absence of data, but I think part of it is there isn't actually that much data available to the government. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it is they're sort of trying to react to public mood, public concern. Mm -hmm. You have then the media who are very good at stoking the sort of fires and 
building a public uh, fear. Um, hmm. I, I'll give you an example. I, there's a counsellor in Cardiff who posts the number of cases in Cardiff for, per 100,000. Yeah. And she is stoking fear with every time she posts that, because it's not given in context, it's being blown out of proportion. So when lockdown was localised here in Cardiff, it was something like 50 cases per 100,000. Now, when you explain that to people in a city of 350,000, we're talking you've locked down the yeah. city of uh, 200 cases. Uh, but it's not being carried through to the public. I think the prime example would be the ban for pubs to stay open after 10 o'clock. Um, that can't be driven by data because if it was driven by data, surely you wouldn't have the pubs open at all. So it's simply government trying to have perception it's doing something rather than actually being... Yeah in reactive to data if, 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 can, I, can i join in the, yeah, on. one of the problems i have with the data that we're being given is um this is in the, the original lockdown which was that we had this many cases however there weren't that many tests we are now seeing hundreds of people go through every single day so we are thousands in fact how many somebody, somebody remind me there's, how many are they having per day? Anyway, thousands per day. So, of course, there's going to be a greater number of people becoming diagnosed. And so many of those will be asymptomatic. And it's not comparable. The data is not comparable from lockdown one to the, the potential one that um, First Minister announced that might happen today. Well, next week or whatever. The, the reality is that the lockdowns do require public buy-in to them. I think that if they're too heavy-handed with it, I don't think public... I think scenes in Liverpool are a prime example of people who, I think the first time lockdown came in, I think people accepted it. I think now people look at it as a sort of... It's a, it's a punishment. Actually, it's a but counter to that, yeah. uh, Chris and Carolyn, that and, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of the public want another lockdown. Um, Ooh, have you been asked? Well, the, the, the survey data does show that. The survey data does show overwhelmingly the public support another lockdown. Um, but, but, the, but, poll, but generally polling is very good. Um, you don't those sort of very accurate polls, but less it is overwhelming. So, I mean, what we're saying is really, we are in, the, well, I say we, you know, the opinion espoused I'm hearing tonight is very much in the minority in the, in the wider Yeah, but I'd be interested maybe in uh, polling data from businesses as well. Yeah. Um, I I, 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 unless there's proper compensation schemes for being shut down, um, you know, I don't think you're, you're going to find businesses in 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 favour. Um, you know, I went to my uh, local uh, last night. Uh, I'm making a point to go there quite regularly at the moment. Uh, I used to go regularly before, but now I feel I have a moral authority for going quite regularly because they're struggling. Because mm. um, they have to take, they've had to take on more staff. Uh, there's less footfall, all the rest of it. it. You know, it was hard for them when they were locked down completely. But it, in some ways, it's harder now. Um, yeah. In certain lines of businesses, it's bloody tough. It's it is. I, I, tough right now. I was, I was with a friend today, and she has closed her um, high street business. She, she's still operating. Um, mm -hmm. but it's in a different way, but the, the high street shop front has gone. And, you know, that this is hugely impacting 
um, what our town centre to look like, our future plans for, for, for that. And frustratingly, you had Vaughan Gething on uh, TV today saying about basically that he wants more money from, from, from London. Well, you're sitting on £300 million worth of money from London, so start splashing well, that. It's, it's, that so, sorry, Carolyn, it's not £300 million. Um, Over the course of this pandemic, uh, the Welsh government's received an extra four billion pounds. No, that's that. I'm on about the three hundred million that's been squirrelled away that hasn't been spent. Yeah. So you know the the war chest really. Yeah. That and, should and come let, out let's, of their al chest. let's also be clear about the Welsh government here in terms of their their financial planning. It's something like seven in every eight pounds they've spent on COVID related stuff has come through from the UK government. They've barely barely touched their own financial prioritizations mm. they they say they've gone back and they've examined examined every nook and cranny no. i just don't buy it because even before covid there was an uplift this year of two billion yeah. and, and they've only managed to reallocate about a quarter of that mm. and so, so don't don't come at me with oh we need to put get more money from from uh, central government no spend what's in your money first because at the end of the day it's coming out of my back pocket when i mm. pay my tax and there's better things that we can spend it on, frankly, than sitting in Labour coffers. I don't want to dwell on the topic too much longer, but that's a very interesting point Sharon and Carrie have raised. I mean, how do the opposition parties, well, not Plaid, because I don't, I don't Plaid would want to make that messaging, but how do other parties emphasise that point, that they, the Welsh Government is not spending its own cash, it's spending what the British Government is giving them? Uh, Carolyn? Um, um, Oh, go on, I, well, I think Nick, Nick Ramsey wrote a, an article on this topic on, on Gwydda this morning. Um, we haven't had enough articles from this angle, frankly. Um, and I was quite heartened by quite an intelligent press release came out from the Welsh Conservatives this morning about um, potential circuit breaker, right? Um, where the Welsh Conservative line, it struck me, was a bit more open-minded um, than, than um, we've, we've heard sometimes in the past around circuit breaker and they said look if we're going to have a circuit breaker we need a series of things uh, we need time to um to prepare so you can't just announce it and lock down the following day um we need steps to help people shielding that needs to be a, a priority within it as well so you're helping the most vulnerable but it also made the points in relation to how that circuit breaker should should be introduced one of them we've already touched on actually it's about using data to take the public with you you have to have the right data you have to you have to say not that this will definitively work but actually with your best estimate based on data that it should work right but the other the other fourth point absolutely critical is how businesses are helped through that lockdown and it makes the point really explicitly that this is on if it's a welsh government that's calling this de facto lockdown it's the Welsh government that's paying for it. Yeah. Let, let, let's just let's say a point. That, that doesn't necessarily answer the, the question in, in the, in, to, to the point, in the sense that I realise, you know, uh, Nick Rance has written a piece for Gwydia, um, the, the Welsh Conservatives are, are hammering this point firmly. How do they sell it to the public, though, in a much more succinct messaging? Chris? He's eating. He's eating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, your, your camera your camera for me is, is slightly frozen, so I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> there was a tweet today that um, took my uh, attention, and it was from the head of the NHS, and he was saying that critical care capacity in Wales is full. 
Now, they decommissioned the Nightingale Hospitals. So this comes down to not just about money, but about choices. Mm. NHS management chose to decommission the hospitals. And yet, at the same time, they do not now, months later, we're in a position where critical care capacity is full. Now, that comes down to leadership and management. Mm. Well, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly there that there is, we, we know that there is a problem with leadership and management in the Welsh NHS because of all the um, historical in, ins and outs of um, special measures that's been going on. And we can't let um, people in Wales forget that, actually, with, with, with COVID um, taking all of the media. Um, we, we, we must keep on reminding people what the NHS was like beforehand and that it's still the same people manage it, managing it and, and leaving us in that position where the NHS uh, Nightingale hospitals were closed. So it, 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 it's so important just to keep on reminding people what it was like before. Well, talking of um, COVID sucking the light of any, any sort of other media stories, Today, nice here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today uh, was announced that uh, the UK, well, the British government has uh, are basically going for a no deal Brexit. So by the 1st of January 2021, uh, seems long, but we'll be here soon. Um, we'll be outside the European Union completely, outside the single market and customs union without a deal, and we'll be trading on WTO terms. Now, does the panel think that is the correct? way to go about this or do you think we should spend a little bit more time negotiating? We'll start with Chris. I, I think today's announcement is intended to put the pressure on for the European Leaders Summit that's going on at the moment. I think that there is an impasse. Um, the EU effectively turned around and said they expect us to make concession. We turned around and said we expect them to make concession. And I think what Boris has done is effectively he's trying to ramp up the pressure so they say, well look, we're, we're prepared to walk away. And I think since the referendum in 2016, there has been a perception possibly in Brussels that on occasion the British negotiations were not committed to the walking away option, that they talked to talk but they wouldn't back it up with action. And I think this is intended to really ramp up the pressure to try and force them to deliver that FTA that Donald Tusk first alluded to. I mean, uh, Darren, you know, why, I mean, do you think this uh, this is pointless? Because at the end of the day, we're going to have to sit down and negotiate a deal at some point. This this can't be left um, yeah. open. Uh, we are going to need a free trade deal with them at some point. Why don't we just do it now? I've, I found, you know, the, the whole issue really depressing for years now, to be honest with you. And particularly because... I still interpret that referendum result as a soft Brexit. I think that that and a soft Brexit is how you would, would have united the country. Um, different political parties have singularly failed to produce anything that maps out a, a soft Brexit path. And those of us who were arguing for soft Brexit um, just got squeezed out as things have got harder and harder. What in terms of where we are now with the negotiations, one of the things I find so bloody frustrating in it all is one side is always the villain. Depending on where you're standing, it's just one side is the villain, isn't it? It's either the EU's negotiating team or Britain's negotiating team. Um, I, I just can't buy into to any 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 of that sort of polarisation, really. And, you know, how people, as British people, can basically continually 
and I mean one hundred percent. Imagine that it's the EU that's continually in the in the in the bloody right, and their own government never has a point. Is is beyond me. So, um, look, I understand the tactics that that are, that are being used. The EU's got a long history of making a, a deal at the eleventh hour, blah blah blah. Uh, but God, I'm drained. I'm really drained. I'm drained by the polarization. I'm drained by the high stakes in everything all the time. Um, and frankly, I, I'm tempted to turn off my entire media feed until this whole bloody nonsense is sorted. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, you and I, uh, I think Chris as well, campaigned for Brexit. Uh, I did. I, I led the campaign across three constituencies. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, well, you were very successful in doing that. Yes. Um, do you think um, the dream, and well, I didn't call it a dream, I suppose, which we campaigned for, do you think that's being lost at the moment, or do you think? No. I, I think that there's lots of balls being juggled in the air, and mm-hmm. I think that. Um, I, I, you're right, Darren. Again, it's it's. It's that historic last minute deal. You know, how many times have we, I'm pretty sure that the EU does it um, just because they'll get a great big dinner and a few glasses of wine when they'd start finish negotiating on the last uh, hour possible. So, you know, to get it settled over dinner and then sign the things by the time the port comes around. Um, So it's just, it's just statesmanship. It's just gamesmanship. It's it's both of them saying, "Well, we're not budging. We're not budging," and um, whoever's not blinked first. So Boris, in in saying that uh, we'll go for an Australian style, is saying that's it. We're not shifting. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's whoever doesn't blink first, and that's where we are. It, it's I, I I get frustrated with the media. Again, mostly uh, London media saying, um, oh, well, you know, just reporting incessantly about it. Mm. Never in the history of any trade negotiation mm. has this much been reported about every blow by blow. It's, it, it is, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to three men here, but it's like Labour, <laughs> as in not the party political thing. It's, it's, it's having a child. Physical you've act. got nine months growing it. And then, and then you've got possibly days ahead of pain and agony. And all of a sudden you'll have one great big hiccup and out comes a lovely baby. No. And that's what will happen. Carolyn, your, me- your metaphor is profoundly misunderstood. It didn't, it, EU exit doesn't take nine months. We were told it would take nine months, but gestation is about three to four years. <laughs> yes. This is purgatory, I think. Uh, I mean, uh, so much is at stake though, isn't it? I mean, the economy is already in the doldrums we're, we're by COVID. And so is the EU's economy. Well, yeah, it's yeah, in I, the I, same I, position. I'm being devil's advocate here. Sorry. And as we, you know, as we approach, you know, we're going for a, a WTO-style arrangement. We've got no deal Brexit, COVID. The British economy is going to explode, isn't it, Darren? Uh, yeah, and that's why I think that, that even if we can't come to a final deal, there's loads of things that, that could and should have been done by now. I'll declare an interest here, right? Uh, I've got a wide range of clients, one of which is the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry. Um, they, they're not condemnatory of any, any government, they just want a deal, right? Uh, but they've been waiting for a long time now for um, 
part of a deal which would is about mutual recognition of medicines yeah. which means yeah. that uh, the regimes in terms of medicine safety are just aligned mm-hmm. yeah so the mm-hmm. one 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 unit recognizes the same regime yeah, in the other it's not standard. bloody rocket science yeah. i don't think as a, as a basic yeah. principle anyway but I we haven't even got that I actually think, though, that in the UK government's defence, the trade deal which they're trying to negotiate, the Canada-style deal, is very much focused on uh, mutual recognition of standards. So instead of single market membership, we just agree to single terms of, of so that has been offered, actually. Uh, uh, but uh, what I'd like to see union. is like concordat around bits, which are so bleeding obvious that right. there's no advantage to anyone in differential of standards, is there? We don't yeah. want to have to recheck medicines no either coming in or out to the UK. Yeah. Right? And, the, and the EU doesn't want that either, because yeah. we actually export more than we import mm. from I mean, the Chris, EU. So is it no one's interest not to agree yeah. that simple basic principle? I mean, Chris, do you think the opportunity about uh, mini deals, because I think this, this has been discussed before around mini deals on, ter- on certain terms of the sector's economy. Do you think that is a, is a realistic outcome before January? I, I think that is probably a likely outcome. I think the problem that's been at the foundation of this is that mm. there's not been goodwill to negotiate normally if you go into negotiations both sides actually want to reach a deal mm. and i think when you look at it the eu and I, i'm being caught careful how i go about this but i think the eu have gone about it within a sort of idea of punishment because they have to be able to show to other countries who could contemplate leaving how bloody difficult it is to extract yourself from it and for the uk I think there has been an element of wanting to have all the perks without any of the consequences. And so I think they're both guilty of going about negotiations without entering in a spirit of goodwill. And hence why you've got the briefing constantly to the press by both sides in a way that you wouldn't have most trade deals. Because most trade deals, the bureaucrats lock themselves in a way and they come back two years later, they sign a piece of paper and that's it. Instead here... It's whispering to the press. Um, Mm. Probably the most egregious one was Barnier when he uh, strolled into um, uh, Downing Street um, and uh, Dunker, and they basically mocked May. Now, I think if you look at it, I think May was actually probably the most reasonable one in the entire mix because she was actually trying to go for a very soft, Mm. cuddly Brexit. I think the mistake they made was that the EU didn't take that opportunity. And I think there's been missed opportunities by the EU across, not even just since the referendum, but in the run-up to it. When Mm -hmm. Cameron went to renegotiate, they gave him scraps from the table. Um, And I think the reality is they missed the opportunity for a soft Brexit at that point by effectively messing around with Theresa May. And you've got Boris with his large majority that's that's exactly what's happened now that that we've got a large majority in Westminster that's not going to put up with that so that they you know with um any kind of negotiation it's it's that is what um the Conservative Party in Westminster was elected to do deliver Brexit and get it done and they're not blinking Uh I, I mean from a personal perspective, I, I think that we are coming to the end of this now, I hope so. And I, and I think that no deal is very much a likely outcome because the fact that either side is not going to get what they want. And I think that actually it was very interesting. I was uh, following, I actually saw a tweet from Ursula um, 
can't remember her last name. Vanderlyn. That's it. Uh, the new um, uh, European head of the European Commission, president of the European Commission, and um, she said we'll be meeting the uh, UK delegation in London. And that's actually very interesting because before uh, you you would see the UK delegation going to Brussels, and you would never see the European Union delegation going to London. So I do think that over the time there has definitely been a change in attitude in the sense that. Delegation are going. Uh, um, EU delegation actually going to London for negotiating, not Brussels. And I think that's definitely changing the tone of the, the negotiations. I think the time factor now is going to focus attention to small mini deals, which mm -hmm. I think the overarching big FTA I think is out out of the equation at the moment. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there is going to be a desire now for the sort of small deals to keep things going because it's in no one's interest for effectively the world to end on January the 1st. Um, mm -hmm. Hugh, I think it's probably time that we move on to... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talking today. of small, um, a little bit of <laughs> tiny news uh, thing coming out today of the emergence of a new group in the Welsh Assembly. Uh, well, how many groups have there been? Uh, the Independent, have I got this right? The Independent Alliance for Reform consisting of Caroline Jones, Mandy Jones, and David Rowlands, all the former of the Brexit party. Um, formerly, formerly UKIP too. Formerly UKIP too, and the possible defection, or another defection of Mark Reckless to the abolished Welsh Assembly party. Um, Darren, you wrote for us today on this. What's your reaction to the, uh, obviously you know your, your views on Mark Reckless, but what's your reaction mm. to, the, to this new grouping? In the uh, well, it, these these things are interesting, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, it's a pain. It's a pain in the ass, you know. We we do training. <laughs> we do training, and there's a slide that we use that depicts the balance of power in the assembly. Yeah. And you know, I I like version thirty seven the best. Um, we're now on version fifty nine. Um, and and honestly, I, I'm sure the public, you know, if they ever took any notice at all, the two don't. A long time ago, so um, th this new grouping is going to struggle, I think. Mm. Uh, you know, bear in mind, Change UK had huge amounts of uh, oomph and what have you put behind them last year, uh, and they ended up being completely obliterated even by the time of the European elections. Um, and this new grouping, I think, will struggle despite the virtues of, uh, of its members in different ways. Um, I, I will I'll, I'll crack a little gag nobody else has cracked yet. Um, if you're a Welsh speaker and you take the uh, the, ac the acronym being IAR, if you're a Welsh speaker, the acronym IAR means chicken. Uh, so obviously they didn't proof it uh, against that. So if I was, you know, doing a bit of banter in the assembly chamber, I'd either be clucking or calling them chickens. Uh, but there we are. I'm, I'm copywriting that one um, and I'm prepared to sell it to anyone who wants to use it. Oh, well, you know where to find him, I suppose, if you want to make him an offer. Um, Carolyn, more um, on Mark Reckless. Now, the, we've discussed many times on this podcast about how Conservatives are overwhelmingly for the abolition of the institution. Do you think the addition of Mark Reckless threatens the Conservatives in terms of getting more votes for that particular party? No. You don't? No, <laughs> it was well, a clear answer. Um, Mark Reckless, uh, you know, he's done a fine job, I'm sure, for his constituents. Um, however, he's not been um, 
prevalent or um, really high profile enough to um, influence those who wouldn't normally vote Conservative. They wouldn't necessarily follow him um, to a different party either because he's not Welsh enough and I'm not nationalistic in any way, but that's, that's how I feel about his impact on, on Welsh politics. I think basically they're all jumping because they want um, some sort of grouping, some sort of um, power between, you know, to, to, to raise their profiles, to, to, to do something. Do they necessarily, you know, are they that passionate about it? Or are they just looking at, I'm saying they, because it's not just Mark Reckless here, it's Caroline Jones, it's, it's everyone. They, it's, it, oh, there's a passing um, bus mm. of outrage that we can jump on to, to, to raise our profile because they're not doing it mm -hmm. to, to raise their own profiles mm -hmm. enough over the uh, past years. Chris, do you think this new grouping now in, in the Assembly, do you think it's just changed UK uh, Mark II, just more Eurosceptic? I'm not sure it is. Um, I think some of the members of the group are very capable operators. How they do it in an election, I don't know. I, I think they'd struggle. Um, mm. There was talk in the papers about Nigel Farage launching a party called the Reform Party. Um, Richard Tice was on their press release today. So there is some sort of connection to people heavily involved with the foundation Brexit party. I don't think the three figures in that group by themselves would pose any breakthrough at the ballot box. And then that's not to disparage them. I think know all three of them and they're perfectly reasonable people, but mm. I don't think they've got the profile no. to be able to cut through with the electorate. Um, if Farage was to get involved, you don't know how it's going to end because he did demonstrate last year how effective he can be with an issue but it all involves an issue that really resonates with the public and and, and, and if lawrence fox becomes involved you know it's just going to dilute it even further um, and, no, I, no, yeah it's i i i think you know, I'll put my cards on the table. I think Reckless has got more chance of being re-elected than any of those three because mm. abolish is an easier mm. proposition to sell. That's mm. not to say Mark will get uh, re-elected, um, mm. you know, but uh, if they would, to be fair, if they were just cynical careerists and the rest of it, which, you know, they're about to get accused of, they probably would have, it would have been a much safer bet for them to switch to abolish, yeah. mm. if, if I'm mm. honest with you, rather than trying to create something new. But what I will say, and I'm going to have a little cheeky plug and a bit of praise here from Mr. Chris Harris. I, I, I was very um, struck by the fact they chose to do it today. On the very day, Mr. Chris Harris has recorded a political icon's biography of Desmond Donnelly, uh, <laughs> which, which we put up this morning, a centenary to the day that Desmond Donnelly was born. If you don't know who Desmond Donnelly is, he was a, a, a one-time Labour MP who switched, founded his own political party, the Democratic Party, failed to get re-elected. If you look uh, in 1917, if you look at the 1970 election, hell of a lot of buzz around Donnelly at that time. Would he, wouldn't he get back into Parliament? I, I, I don't think we're going to get the same buzz around any of the three people who've joined the, uh, the chicken party. I, I mean, uh, Chris, final thoughts on this. Do you think, do you see a Donnelly-like-esque returning to, uh, for, not for Westminster, for the Assembly next year? 
or will they end his fate or will they end up his fate uh, like his fate not obviously you know um, um, politically, um, politically speaking the the group with caroline i think it's against them to get back in mm. they, they come in from effectively ground zero today um i think abolish are currently polling about four percent um, UKIP, when they had seven people elected, managed to get on the regional list something like 9% of the vote. And mm. so it's a, it's a big ask with three figures to generate the sort of publicity to get elected. You've got to remember with UKIP, when they had seven people elected, it was coming just after the European referendum. And you had UKIP was an established political brand at that time. Mm. Um, parties ebb and flow in their sort of recognition but I think it's a big ask for a new entity I think the only thing that would go in if they would be if Farage got involved but I'm not sure that is a given Tice maybe but I think unless they had someone like Farage I don't think they're gonna have to cut through with the public Right. Can I can I make a little confession here? No, don't carry. Go on. There's um there's a local Facebook group which I post on every now and again in my capacity as a counsellor, and there's one guy that responds every single time, um, along the lines of how many more political parties can this woman join and so on so forth, <laughs> and every single time, every single time, other people chip in and say, that's Caroline Jones. Not Carolyn Weston. <laughs> <laughs> it is a challenge. It is a challenge trying to. Teach I, I, thought, I thought I thought the conf confession was going to be far more dramatic than that. Probably going to get exclusive then, Carolyn. <laughs> well, on that uh, on that note, um, I'll finish there. Thank you all, all three of you, for coming and talking about these very interesting topics in our very interesting times. Have you all enjoyed yourselves? I have. Yes, I might come back as well. Yes, want. please do. <laughs> well see you all uh soon and to our listeners thank you for listening once again and hopefully see you soon bye now bye thank you bye. for more from the pradane review head to pradane.review on any web browser alternatively check out at pradane review on twitter or facebook